0: Hi and welcome to the first Patreon-only episode of True Crime Sweden. Today you are going to get a bit of a history lesson and at the same time hear about one of the worst mass executions in Swedish history. This episode is researched and written by Johanna Udstol friberg Thank you so much, Johanna. Not everyone knows that the Red Wedding in the George W.R. Martin's Game of Thrones is actually inspired by a real event, Stockholm's *blodbad*, which translates to Stockholm Bloodbath. The Stockholm Bloodbath was a trial that led to a series of executions in Stockholm between the 7th and 9th of November, 1520. It all started with the coronation of Christian II. The celebrations of the coronation were ongoing for three days, and in the end of those three days, the guests were slaughtered. After that, Christian II became known as Christian Turan, which translated is Christian the Tyrant. Nearly 100 people were executed at the party and in the months following the tragedy. But in order to understand why this tragedy happened, we must go back to the year 1397 and what is known as the Kalmar Union. The Kalmar Union was a union that from 1397 to 1523 joined the three kingdoms, Sweden Denmark, and Norway, under a single monarch. Almost all of Finland also belonged to Sweden back then. Legally, the countries remained separate sovereign states with their own regions, but with their domestic and foreign policies being directed by a common monarch. The Union was not continuous during these 126 years, It happened that a country region tried to separate from the rest of the Union, but all attempts failed until 1523. One main goal of the formation of the Kalmar Union was to block German expansion northward into the Baltic region. The main reason for its failure to survive was that perpetual struggle between the monarch, who wanted a strong Union, and the Swedish and Danish nobility, which did not. Divergent interests, especially the Swedish nobility's dissatisfaction with the dominant role played by Denmark, gave rise to a conflict that would hamper the Union in several intervals, from the 1430s until its definite breakup in 1523, when Gustav Vasa became king of Sweden. The Stockholm bloodbath in 1520 was the direct cause of the last uproar that finally set Sweden free. The tragedy started five years before the actual bloodbath, in the year 1515. The 80-year-old archbishop of Uppsala resigned and suggested a 26-year-old nobleman, Gustav Trolle, to take over after him. Trolle traveled to Rome and was made Archbishop of Uppsala by the Pope Leo X. The Pope also gave him the fortress of Almare Stäket in the county it belonged to. He was also given permission to host an army of 400 men to be able to protect the said fortress. Basically, what the Pope did was to make sure Gustav Trolle could stay independent from the Swedish regent government with the right of his status within the Catholic Church. When the 26-year-old Trolle came back to Sweden in September 1515 to claim his land, he found that the Swedish regent Sten Sture, the younger, had revoked all of his rights to the county of Stacket. No matter what the Catholic Church had stated. Trolle tried to argue that his fortress had been part of the archbishop's gig forever, and that Sten Sture couldn't just come and take it from him. He didn't have any luck in getting through to Sten Sture, though, who was a skilled politician and despised the Pope for meddling with property that was definitely Swedish and not belonging to the Catholic Church. Sten Sture the Younger was born in 1493 as the son of Regent Svante Nilsson. At the death of his father, young Sten was only 18 years old, High Counselor Erik Trolle was thought of as a better choice to replace the old regent, and the council elected Erik instead of Sten Sture. Erik was very supportive of the Kalmar Union. And you guessed it, Erik Trolle was the father of Gustav Trolle. However, young Sten did not accept Erik as a regent, and he used the castles and troops given to him by his late father to make a blow against the state. After Sten promised to support the Union, the High Council of Sweden accepted him as a regent instead of Trolle. All of this was just an act, though. Sten Sture never had any intentions of ever collaborating with the Danes, He had grown very tired of Swedish tax money being spent on Danish welfare, and he wanted Sweden to become independent. When Gustav Trolle learned that Sten Sture had taken his property Staket, he started rallying troops and cannons to take his fortress back from him. Since Sture then claimed that Gustav Trolle had not sworn allegiance to the Swedish regent or council, so his loyalty must be with someone else. And this someone was probably Danish king Christian II, which would make Gustav a traitor. In 1517, the two arch enemies, Sture and Trolle, were still not in agreement and Sture burned the fortress of Almade Stäke to the ground, thus leaving nothing for Trolle to own. He also filed a claim to have Trolle convicted for high treason. By the end of 1518, Gustav Trolle was forced to surrender and hand himself over to the authorities. He was arrested and taken to Westerås Castle, and shortly thereafter had to resign as archbishop. The arrest of Gustav Trolle made the Archbishop of Lund super angry, so he proclaimed Sten Sture and his men no longer welcome to the Catholic Church. The Pope was also heavily involved and he tried his best to support the Archbishop of Lund and the Archbishop of Odense, Denmark, in their efforts to have Gustav released from prison. King Christian II of Denmark got involved to try to force Stenstude and Sweden to submission in 1520. He came with an army of 6,000 Danish knights, French, German, and Scottish mercenaries. Sten Sture and Christian met in the battle of Bogesund, but at an early stage a cannonball ricocheted off the ice, hitting Sten Sture in the leg and killing his horse. Deprived of their leadership, Sture's forces of mostly armed peasants fell into disarray and fled. Sture himself retreated towards Stockholm, but died of his wounds on the ice of Lake Mälaren on February 5th at the age of 27. After that, Christian's army of mercenaries proceeded to the capital of Sweden, Stockholm. In May, the Danish fleet arrived and Stockholm was attacked from both land and sea. Lady Christina, the wife of late Stenstude, persisted for five months, and in the beginning of fall, the tide of war started to turn in Christina's favor. The people of Stockholm had a large supply of food and were doing relatively well. Christian realized that his stockpile was dwindling, and that it would doom his army to maintain the siege throughout the winter. Through Bishop Matthias Heminggad, and other Swedish noblemen, Christians sent a proposal for retreat that was very hard to turn down for the Swedes. It has been debated over the centuries why Lady Christina surrendered, even if it looked as if she had the upper hand. There is no other reasonable explanation than the fact that she was promised a very profitable agreement for surrendering. She was offered substantial pieces of land in both Sweden and Finland. Christina had just lost her husband. She had five children and a sixth on the way. I can imagine that she did what she thought was best for her family and for her country. When Lady Christina finally said she was willing to give up, the senators of the council also agreed to support Christian on condition that he gave a full amnesty for past actions and a guarantee that Sweden should be ruled according to Swedish laws and customs. Christian II was now the king of Sweden. During a meeting on Beckholmen outside of Djurgården two islands in the Stockholm area. Christian swore that all acts against him would be forgotten and gave pardon to several named persons, including Gustav Vasa, later the founder of Sweden. When all the paperwork was done, the mayor of Stockholm delivered the keys to the city and Christian held his grand entry. Shortly after, he sailed back to Denmark to return in November for his coronation. On November 4th, Christian was anointed by Gustavus Trolle in Storkyrkan Cathedral and took the usual oath to rule the kingdom. A huge party was held for the next three days. All the noblemen and important people of the Swedish kingdom were invited. Gustav Vossa, who had spent some time in a Danish prison on accounts of anti-unionism, was suspicious and decided not to go to the coronation party. Smart guy, it turns out. Three days later, the events of the Stockholm bloodbath began to unfold. At dusk on November 8th, Danish soldiers suddenly entered the great hall of the royal palace and took all the noble guests as prisoners. Early that morning, the sound of the trumpets were echoing in the narrow alleys of Stockholm at the same time as the soldiers arrested the noblemen of the party. A fallback and some gallows had been prepared in the main square, Stortorget, of what is now known as the Old Town of Stockholm. One of the king's knights were riding across the city on his white horse, yelling out, Come to the main square! Everyone, come to the main square!" When a crowd started to assemble in the square, they could see the most powerful people in Sweden being pushed forward by soldiers out into the square. Bishops, mayors, priests and noblemen in fancy party clothing had their hands tied behind their backs awaiting their destiny. As the clock in the church Storkyrkan strikes twelve times, Danish privy councillor Nils Lykke steps out on the balcony of the city hall overlooking the main square. He holds a speech in Danish, a language most Swedes did not understand at all. He says that the bound men have been convicted of treason and conspiracy against the king for placing barrels of gunpowder in the basement of the royal palace. The bishop of Skara in the crowd yells out, The king is a liar and a traitor. The bishop of Strängnäs tries to calm him down, but it's too late. Five Danish soldiers grab them by their arms and drag them to the group of tied-up men in the square. And then the bloodbath begins, when the executioner raises his sword and beheads the two bishops. Following the first two executions, fourteen noblemen, three mayors, fourteen town councillors, and about twenty common citizens of Stockholm were then hanged or beheaded in the square. This all in front of a crowd of hundreds of people. The following day, November 9th, a council headed by Archbishop Trolle sentenced a number of people for being heretics. The main point of accusation was their having united in a pact to depose Trolle a few years earlier. The term heresy is usually used to refer to violations of important religious teachings, but is also of use strongly opposed to any generally accepted ideas. Many of these people were leading men of the Steensture party, and therefore potential opponents of the Danish king. Archbishop Trolle was looking for revenge, but Christian II wanted something much more important. By getting rid of all noblemen and bishops working against the Union and him, he could gain a powerful grip of Sweden. The executions continued throughout the day, According to the German chief executioner, Jürgen Humuth, a total of 82 people were executed. It has been claimed that Christian also took revenge on Sten Sture's body, having it dug up and burnt, as well as the body of Sten Sture's child. Sture's widow, Lady Christina, and many other noble women, were taken as prisoners to Denmark. Christian justified the massacre in a proclamation to the Swedish people as a measure necessary to avoid a ban from the Pope. But when apologizing to the Pope for the decapitation of the bishops, he blamed his troops for performing unauthorized acts of vengeance. If the intention behind the executions had been to frighten the anti-unionists' party into submission, it proved to be very counterproductive. Gustav Vasa was the son of Erik Johansson, one of the victims of the executions. Vasa, upon hearing of the massacre, traveled north to the province of Dalarna to seek support for a new revolt. The population, informed of what had happened, rallied to his side. They were ultimately able to defeat Christian's forces in the Swedish War of Liberation, which lasted between 1521 and 1523. The massacre became the catalyst that permanently separated Sweden from Denmark. The Stockholm bloodbath advanced a lengthy hostility towards Danes in Sweden, and from then on, the two nations were almost continuously hostile towards each other. These hostilities, developing into a struggle for power over the Scandinavian and North German area, lasted for nearly 300 years. Memory of the bloodbath served to let the Swedes depict themselves, and often, actually regard themselves as the wronged and aggrieved party, even when they were the ones who eventually took the political and military lead, such as the conquest and annexation of Skåne until the Treaty of Roskilde in 1658. Skåne is now the most southern province in Sweden. As I said, the events of the bloodbath earned Christian II the nickname Christian Tyrann, Christian the Tyrant, here in Sweden, which he retains until this present day. It is a common misconception in Sweden that King Christian II, contrarily, was called Christian den Gode, Christian the Good, in Denmark. There are no evidence pointing towards that being true, but it's a great story, though. Another interesting fact about the Stockholm bloodbath is that there is a building on the big square called Shanska Huset, or the Shanska House. That was built in 1650, about 130 years after the bloodbath. That house has cubic white stones around all the windows, but the house itself is in a reddish color. If you count the stones, there are 94 stones in total. That is how many people lost their lives in the Stockholm bloodbath. There is no proof that the stones represent the lives lost, but a lot of people like to think so. I remember being told this story about that house and that the stones represented each head that rolled over that square at that time. I was in third grade at the time and we visited with school. I can still not walk across that square without looking up at that house and think about all the people who were killed back then, so at least for me it makes me remember our terrible history. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for being a patron and supporting True Crime Sweden. I really appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Goodbye! Hej då!